Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
song. What a song. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. Happy Thursday. I hope you've had a fantastic day. I hope it's all gone accordingly. First and foremost, I want to thank all of my audience, my co-hosts, my sponsors, and uh, my, my amazing um, guests. Uh, you guys are unbelievable. Uh, the show keeps growing and growing. We are, uh, like I said many times, we are listened to in 22 different countries and downloadable on over 60 online platforms. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody from the other night. Tuesday night was a fantastic show, as well as Monday was. Um, and remember, if uh, you miss any of our past episodes, past clips, uh, latest 24-7 headline news, Visit our new media site, the next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA.com. And don't forget, on our media site, we will be giving many notable names, their own shows, their own columns uh, here in the coming weeks, in the next month or probably in the next month or so, actually, we'll, we'll be starting that whole process. So stay tuned. Uh, I'll keep you all updated on that. I want to welcome to the show uh, my co-hosts, uh, first and foremost, uh, let's uh, welcome businessman, Twitter master, activist, and political strategist, Bill Lambert. How are you, buddy? Good. How are you doing tonight, Rory? Doing well, man. Good to have you here. Let's also welcome to the show uh, doctor, award-winning speaker, veteran, technology expert, best-selling author, and Arizona superintendent of public instruction 2018 candidate, and currently the commissioner of parks and recreation for Maricopa County, Dr. Robert Branch. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to talking with you, Bill, and the rest of your guests. Absolutely. And we, I'd also like to welcome to the show co-founder of College Republicans United and chairman of Republicans United, Kevin, Kevin Dukeiper. How are you, buddy? I'm doing wonderful. Can't wait for the rest of the show, Rory. All righty. And uh, I'm excited as well. I also want to welcome uh, director, political strategist, and activist, Gianni Rodriguez. How are you, buddy? Doing great, Rory. Doing great. Well, great to have you here. Uh, let's get into it. I, you know, I, I'm really um, appalled at this whole immigration stance from the left, uh, the way they're going about things. I mean, it, we can't be surprised. I mean, this is, doesn't come as a shock. We know their ideology is radical. Uh, we know that, you know, they're, they're using them as boats. We know that they're, they're not putting the American people first. And, you know, there's just so much idiocy. We have Kristen Gillibrand, one of the Democratic candidates now, asking to give illegals Social Security. That, she wants that to be one of her campaign pledges. And there was a new article out today of a, an illegal alien in Texas fucking a cow. And I kid you not, literally the cops arrested him for fucking a cow. We have, we have people in our country doing that. We have people in our country killing innocent civilians, raping people. I mean, I, I read about rapes probably every other day with an illegal alien, and I probably read about once a week a new killing. I mean, if that's not enough of an, a national emergency, we had 400 uh, illegal immigrants captured in a five-minute time frame at the El Paso uh, sector of the border. So for anyone to, you know, laugh this off or say this is some sort of hyperbolic uh, you know, uh, publicity stunt by the by the right is bullshit. This is about putting the country first, 
This is about doing the right thing for our people. I mean, this, this shouldn't even be a conversation. I mean, the safety and security of, of us is always uh, number one priority in American history. At least it's supposed to be. I want to play this clip from Tucker. He puts it into perspective perfectly. Um, give me one second. Let me pull this clip up. Uh, here we go. One, four. High profile and Hey guys, guys, sorry about that. There were too many things running at once. Here it is. I'm playing it from the beginning. Here we go. Every immigrant is like every other immigrant. Now, don't tell Kirsten Gillibrand 
but they're not all the same. Our current immigration system treats them like they are. It treats people like witches. Our government does virtually nothing to separate the good from the bad. A system like that is not designed to help America. It's designed for the benefit of foreigners. And for that measure, it has been wildly successful. A study shows that just last year, immigrants living in the United States released $120 billion in remittances to the country they came from. Even during the age of expanding costs, $120 billion is a lot of money. It's more, for example, than we spent on the first Gulf War. It's more than the entire Russian military spent every two years. That's not money to buy Costco, not the stuff on the shelves, but the entire company can still have $50 billion left over. It's a lot of money, and all of it could be going to Americans, many of them have But instead, Mexico received $33 billion in remittances just last year. The country's own president admits the Mexican economy would go under without those remittances. In Guatemala, remittances from the United States amounted to a full 11% of their entire GDP. In El Salvador and Honduras, that 18 and 20% respectively. In the past decades, those three countries have received a total of 120 billion in remittances. By the way, it's not just Latin America that's benefiting. China, which hardly needs it, gets 15 billion dollars. India, ten and a half billion. Vietnam, seven billion. Nigeria, five and a half billion. Russia, three billion. Now, none of this is an attack on immigrants. In most cases, they're just helping their families back home. And good for them. It's not their fault. It's our fault. Much of this money has never been taxed at any level. More than 10 million illegal aliens are believed to be working in this country under the That's part of the reason that between 2012 and 2016, an estimated 39 million social security numbers were stolen from Americans for fraudulent use, a fact that's rarely reported. But legal or not, immigrants send their earnings abroad, and they pay nothing when they do it because remittances are untaxed. It's a pretty good deal for Mexico and Guatemala. When was the last time you made a financial transaction that wasn't taxed? Can you even remember? At one point, the Trump administration proposed a remittance tax. Lobbyists for Mexico didn't like the idea. It went nowhere. We can't fix that on the show. What we can do is be honest about what is happening. Immigration is good for our economy? Sure, it can be good. Immigration is always good for our economy? More immigration is always better for our economy? No, that's a lie. There's nothing to support that claim. There's a lot of evidence to disprove it. Anyone who tells you that, and there's pretty much everyone you see on television, either doesn't understand the subject or is lying to you purposely at any vote. Yeah, I mean, here you have it, guys. I mean, very, very well said by by Tucker Carlson. Um, look at all the money we're spending on illegals, way more than any other country. It's not even a comparison. And people have the nerve to tell us that we are a racist country, we are hateful. In reality, though, we're the most generous and nicest country on earth. But we know how much the left hates America. The fact that they want to have illegals in this country, we know it's it's simple, it's it's common sense why they want them here, because they want their votes. I mean, that, that's no surprise. And we just had AOC, Cortez, admit the other day that her constituents are illegal aliens. Hmm. Leads me to believe that uh, she just basically ratted on herself. I mean, saying statements like that, I mean, we already knew, uh, you know, these these Democrats get illegal votes, but I mean, it just it it just proves it more and more, you know. And she's not the first person to say say something like that either. Um, but but let's let's face the facts. 
you know, it's, not, it's nothing about racism. It's nothing about hate. It's nothing about discrimination. It's about following laws. It's about having a country. It's about, you know, and, and when people, uh, you know, want to say, well, it's Trump-based, it's a bunch of white supremacists, claimed the other day that his supporters are a bunch of white supremacists, and he said it perfectly. They're a very small group of people. Listen to this short clip. I don't really, I think it's a, a small group of people that have very, very serious problems. I guess if you look at what happened in New Zealand, perhaps that's a case. I don't know enough about it yet. They're just learning about the person and the people involved. Uh, but it's, it's certainly a terrible thing, terrible thing. And, and let's, you know, very well said. And let, let's face the facts that, yes, there's cheap labor that comes from illegal. Absolutely. But, it, but it's, it's so wrong when Democrats make ignorant statements saying, well, illegals do jobs that Americans wouldn't. That's so, that's so untrue. That's just a talking point and a, and a justification. Um, Gianni, I'll start with you. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure that illegal immigrants, I mean, not illegal immigrants, but immigrants are make our economy very, very strong. That is true. They yeah. do hard work. But I mean, legal look ones. At, yeah, legal ones. Yeah, exactly. Immigrants, legal immigrants. You know, if you look at, you know, when they're building homes and they're building buildings, you know, no one else is out there really doing it but them. And that is a good thing. Legal immigrants does put a special uh, uh, push on our economy. However... If we're paying money and taxpayers are paying money taking care of so many illegal immigrants and people that's not yes. supposed to be here, then that's yep. going to be a problem. And here's the thing. I'm not even mad at the illegal immigrants. I'm mad at the politicians that are using them. Yeah, that's, see, people are angry at the illegal immigrants. I'm not angry at them because they're being told, hey, you come over here, you get free welfare, free everything. And they're like, okay, bet. That's a good fucking deal. Then they come over here. And then you see what's happening in Seattle. You see what's happening in Paris. You see what's happening all over the, the United States where they're on the side of the street. With the now. Yeah, and that's what I'm so pissed at the Democratic politicians that are using them and bringing them over here because they know what they're doing. It's like it's kind of like a concentration camp, to be honest. Yeah. You know, you got people, you know, not being arrested for doing having drug use. You got people that just out in the street, you know, doped up on drugs. You got people that's out in the street doing crime because they can't find a job. I mean, it's totally ridiculous. So, yes, immigrants are a very special part of our economy. That is very true. But illegal immigrants that are coming in are destroying our economy, and it's deemed to fail. Well, think about this for a second. Uh, They're now offering – let this sink in, guys. And this is how it all starts with with voter registration, you name it. uh, A new Florida bill – would allow illegal aliens to get driver's licenses, and then you know what that means? Oh, show ID at the ballot box. You can vote. This is how it, this is a, this is how it's a trick. And let's face it: in elections, Florida is one of the most important states for the president to win. And sometimes it it predicts the outcome uh, for who wins the election. Let's face it: Florida is one of the most important. And uh, yeah, I mean that's just scary. And you have in Florida as well, uh, Andrew Gillum who's getting a bunch of felons to vote in the upcoming presidential election. So you have all this corruption going on. It's scary. It needs to be stopped. It needs to be watched. Trump has to put some, some sort of bill or some sort of stance in place that basically 
takes care of this situation and prevents it from happening because this is not okay. This is, this is you know, this, these elections are only for U.S. citizens. Um, uh, let's go to Dr. Branch. Your thoughts. In 1986, when Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan and the House and Senate passed the immigration, uh, allowing for amnesty, it also made illegal to hire an illegal alien. But economies yeah. like California completely ignored that law. So they became, uh, and in 1985, because there was a lot of talk about this, uh, the first sanctuary city came about, and that was San Francisco. Now we have seen that morph into now the entire state is a sanctuary state. All of those, now I'm with everybody here, legal aliens, 100% have contributed and became United States citizens. However, illegal immigration is a burden to America because what ended up happening is like, for instance, in California, you had in 1994, Orange County went bankrupt. And when that did, you had a bunch of uh, uh, congressmen out in California requesting that the United States government and the Secretary of Department of Education reimburse every state for the cost of educating illegal aliens, kindergarten through 12, then asking the United States government to also pay for health insurance. Well, that educated their illegal workforce. That also gave health care to their illegal workforce. So, you know, to hear this now to say, well, you know, illegals should have the right to vote or collect Social Security – you know, it's, it's extremely disingenuous, especially from hypocrites, uh, you know, in the House and Senate that on the Democrat side, during the Obama administration, like Chuck yeah. Schumer, called them illegal aliens. And there was no place for them in the United States. Now they're embracing yeah. them. Incredible. Well, Dr. Br- Incredible. Yeah, don't, for, don't forget, Dr. Branch, that there, there's – I'm sure you've seen it on Facebook, the old clips of Bill Clinton saying if – if uh, U.S. companies hire illegal aliens, they will be prosecuted. If we find people illegally in this country, they will be sent back. And, and is that happening? No. <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's terrible. Yeah. It, it, it's terrible it, it, when it's, it's destroying like the opposite. this country. It, it, it's like the Dem- – you know what? I was, I was never a fan of the Democratic Party, but at least they were a party at one point of some sort of substance. You know what I mean? Sure. And I mean, Bill Clinton, you know, he tried and, you know, and I'm not a fan of Bill Clinton, but you're absolutely right. You know, even Chuck Schumer in uh, 2009, you know, called out, wanted border security, called out illegal aliens, had no part in the United States, legal immigration did. And now they're just all hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. And like you said, it's designed to take the vote away. You look at H.R. 1 of this new Congress. That will give a pathway to voting for uh, having illegal aliens vote. And when you lower the age to 16, when you haven't even received a a high school diploma yet, that you could vote for a president, oh, my gosh. They want to change our government. They want to change our Constitution. And it's incredible, the war that is actually going on, the invasion that's going on. You mentioned the 400 people caught in five minutes. 
400 yeah. in five minutes. Yep. If that's not an invasion, I don't know what is. Exactly. I mean, the, the proof is all in front of us. Kevin, go ahead. Well, first of all, uh, I want to say that it's not just the, the, for the votes that all these illegal immigrants are being uh, flushed into our country. You know, it's to create this welfare system, to collapse our uh, financial ability, our, our debt is skyrocketing. And our uh, American workers are being replaced with um, both uh, legal and illegal immigrants. And it really is a problem that conservatives consider the economy to be the only issue um, on their mind. They don't really consider well-being or happiness or cohesiveness of a, of a country that, uh, by allowing all these uh, legal and illegal immigrants in our country. Because uh, you just look at uh, Minnesota, you see uh, an entire state full of legal immigrants that don't share our values remotely. And there's Sharia law being put into effect. And uh, corporations love it because they're getting uh, workers for cheaper. And uh, it's it's really great for the economy. In fact, uh, uh, Ivanka Trump's mentor, Kevin Hassett, has made his career off of the assumption that uh, illegal and legal immigration is the best for our country's economy uh, because of these reasons. So I, I really reject the idea that uh, legal immigration is good for us because uh, right. that is what's turning our country blue. Absolutely. There's no meritocracy uh, involved. Yeah, very well said. Um, yeah, Bill, Bill, go ahead, and uh, I'll, I'll, I want you to speak on this point, and then I'm going to go to commercial, and then we'll introduce our, our first guest tonight. But, Bill, go ahead. Yeah, I think Kevin's spot on. It, it's not just about the, the illegal immigration. It, it's as far as votes go. It's about bankrupt, bankrupting the population and the economy. I mean, that's the, the fastest way to usher in a socialistic system because when you have the population at a point where they can't take care of themselves, then you only have the government to look look to, and it's much easier to get things through Congress or the government to, to turn over to a socialism type scenario. The the money that we spend on that is, is astronomical for illegal aliens, but we also have to understand that that 30 to 50 percent of the income of the illegal alien that's here now leaves the country and isn't put back into our economy. It's not at, not spent at the grocery store. It's not spent at the gas station. It's sent back to Honduras and Guatemala and, and all those other countries, which also hurts our economy. The the jobs that we have here, I did every job in the in the world until you know, and and I you know dug ditches and whatever you want labor and, and all that. So people will do the jobs. It's a matter of they don't have to do them because they don't have to go hungry. If you're hungry, right. you'll go work. Exactly, exactly, and that, that's the American dream right there. I, I want to go to commercial, and we'll be right back with our guest. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. 
Sign up at SkyRaceSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. All righty, we are back, the Rory Sauter Show. Don't forget, everybody, we are listened to in 22 different countries on over 60 online platforms and coast-to-coast worldwide. And if you miss any of our clips or any of our interviews or shows or any uh, breaking news 24-7 coverage, you can visit our new media site, thenextnexgenusa.com. I want to welcome uh, a very special guest tonight, very popular guy, doing very well, a U.S. spokesman for Bragg Gaming Company. Sorry, sorry. Today, okay, U.S. spokesman for Bragg Gaming Group and host of Sid and Bernie in the Morning and Sid Sports Sunday on 770 WABC in New York City. Sid Rosenberg, how are you, my friend? Hey, Rory, nice to be with you on this uh, beautiful night. Actually, I took a flight today. You know, I left New York City. It was about 48 rating. And I used to live for many years in uh, South Florida down in Boca Raton, about 40 miles north of Miami. So, I got the family here tonight for a nice little five-day getaway, and I'll be back in New York City on Wednesday morning. So Thursday, I can go to the Bronx to watch the Yankees open up their season against the Baltimore Orioles next Thursday. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, you know, it's your first time on the show, Sid, and, you know, I'm a big fan. You're a very popular guy. Uh, You've been around for quite some time, um, and you you have a big following. So, you know, tell me about your life. Tell me how it all started, you know, the, the adventure, uh, you know, all the, all the different things you've been through and all the, all the uh, amazing chapters. Well, I'll tell you what. You can uh, buy my book. Uh, most people haven't. <laughs> it's not a New York Times bestseller like Howard Stern's. Howard's book uh, hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list and Amazon day one. Mine did, but it's still a very entertaining read. It's called You're Wrong and You're Ugly. You can get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. And it's an interesting read, and it kind of takes you through the whole journey, which started really, really back in 1998 when I was doing strictly Internet radio, something in the United States that very few people even knew existed. They didn't know you can get sound out of your computers, but I started at a small company called Sportsline USA in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That is now CBS.com. That's how well that company did. And I went wow. from Internet radio in 19- Yeah. And I went from doing internet radio in 1998 in South Florida to eventually just two years later doing sports on the very popular Imus in the Morning program in New York City, hosting the midday show with WFAN, doing the, the pre, the post for the New York football giants. And through the years, I've done everything from uh, Howard Stern's show, being a guest on his show many, many times, hosting his TV specials. I've had three stints with Don Imus to where I am today, which is now I replaced Don Imus back in April when he retired, hosting the morning show in New York City. So it's been a crazy, crazy 20 years filled with controversies, firings, uh, you know, some of the, the stuff in life that people don't necessarily talk about, drugs and drinking and all those types of things. But in all, it's been a very rewarding 20 years for me. Wow, man. I mean, that's unbelievable. All the stuff that, that you're talking about right now is uh... – I mean, it's just I'm, Howard Stern. I mean, you know, all these different uh, chapters and all these different, uh, you know, moments in life that you got to experience. This is unreal, man. I mean, you're living the dream. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say I'm living the dream, but I got to get up every single morning at about 3.45 a.m. Eastern time, 
and I take the one train on 103rd Broadway down to Madison Square Garden every morning, the 4.40 a.m. one train uh, to arrive at Penn Station to meet the homeless very early in the morning. And usually what is a very cold New York City morning the last, like, six months. So even though I'm on a tremendous, a legendary radio station, and I'm a very popular radio host in the number one media market in the world, I got to tell you, when I'm walking to the train station at 4 a.m. in New York City and it's 22 degrees, I don't feel all that special. <laughs> yes. I, yes. And tell us, you know, tell us about your number one show. You got the biggest show in New York City. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, listen, we, we took over for Imus. Uh, my partner is a guy named Bernard McGurk. He spent about 30 years as Imus's executive producer and also did a lot of on-air work with Imus as well. Very, very funny guy. Did a lot of the impressions and the bits for Imus for 30 years. And Bernie and I were kind of big players on Imus together. And when uh, I came back to New York from Miami in 2016, Bernie and I hosted the midday show after Imus, but we also appeared on Imus's show. So we were both doing about six hours of radio a day. And then last April, Don Imus, finally, after his legendary 40-year career, 50-year career, retired, right? And Bernie and I took over April 2nd. We're about to celebrate a one-year anniversary. And April 6th of last year, our fifth show on WABC, President Donald Trump, actually stopped by and gave us a, um, a great 15-minute interview and uh, all kinds of superlatives and very nice things. Uh, he's known me and Bernie for a very, very long time. So we're coming up on a year anniversary of Bernie and Sid in the morning and the Donald Trump conversation. So the plan is, is to bring the president back the first week of April to celebrate our one-year anniversary mornings on 77 WABC. Unbelievable. Wow, man. And you know this is a big pro-Trump show, man. Uh, I mean, I, we love Trump. I mean, we bow to him. We think he's the greatest thing on earth. And, uh, man, <laughs> that is so You know what's funny about that, Rory? My partner, Bernard McGurk, he is one of the biggest Trump supporters in the country. I'm actually not. Uh, I actually voted for Hillary Clinton. The difference is, is that I'm adult enough, which most people are not, to admit when I'm wrong. Uh, I did not like Donald Trump's campaign. I thought it was an insult-ridden, stupid campaign. He had about two or three talking points, the wall, two or three other things. And for the most part, it was a very – there was no substance. It was, uh, it was great. He made fun of Jeb Bush. He made fun of um, Marco Rubio. He made fun of Lion Ted Cruz. But for about a year, I didn't hear Donald Trump say much. I didn't vote for him. But I will say this. A year and a half in, I could admit, thank God he won. He's actually doing a pretty good job. He's not perfect. He still says a lot of really stupid things. I could do without the incessant tweeting. Uh, I thought he did a bad job in places like Charlottesville, for example, when he didn't call out the Nazis in particular. He has not been perfect. So that's the difference in our show. You've got Bernie. Donald Trump can do nothing wrong. You've got me. I'm a guy that didn't like him. I do like him now. And when Trump was on, I admitted to him. I said, listen, Trump, I've known Trump for 25 years from his old days boxing with Mike Tyson. I said, I didn't vote for you. Yeah. I said, but the truth is, a year and a half in, I think you're doing a pretty good job. And I think he is. God bless. Yeah, that's God bless. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and, and uh, wow, 25 years. So you, you've known him since the Tyson days. Tell us a little bit about that. That's, I mean, that goes way back. Way back when I started my career doing just sports. I mean, most of my career, I was just a sports guy. Again, working at WFAN in New York City for a long time. That is the number one sports station in the world, dating all the way back to 1986. So, but I used to cover fights out in Vegas in the late 1990s for CBS and for Sportsline. I would see Donald Trump all the time. 
He was on my show a bunch of times. He was very, very nice. Of course, when I came back to New York City, I knew him then, too. I would see him on occasion. And uh, since I've been back, like I said, uh, both of his sons are big fans of our show in the morning. They listen all the time. Trump listens occasionally. Uh, Bernie and I both do stints on Fox News, both on TV and radio. In fact, we were just on Brian Kilmeade's show yesterday. So we know President yeah. Trump listens to that. So we've known him for, for a long time. I mean, I mean, Bernie's known him real well for about 25 years. I mean, Trump actually called Bernie on his cell phone a couple of times last year. That's how close those guys are. Uh, Donald and I have not been that close the last 20 years. But, again, now with me and Bernie doing so well in New York City, uh, Trump has certainly taken notice, and he likes our show. So it's all good. The president is good with the Bernie and Sid in the morning show. I love it. I love it, Sid. Um, this is amazing, man. Uh, it's awesome having you on. I, uh, you know, I want to know, so, so tell me, so you guys, right now, you guys are dominating the markets, I mean, in the ratings, right? Well, you know, we do something nobody else does. We do a very unique show, Maury. Uh, we, we do a little bit of everything. You know, for example, uh, we'll bring on, we've got about 10 guests that come on uh, throughout the week that are weekly guests. Mondays, for example, we bring on a guy like Rich Lowry for the National Review. Uh, every Tuesday, Bo Deal. Every Wednesday, Anthony Scaramucci. Every Thursday, Bill O'Reilly. And you may not like this, but every Friday, my dear friend Chuck Todd from Meet the Press, Meet the Press, I should say, he comes on. So throughout the week, we've been on about nine or ten regulars that discuss politics. But uh, much of the week, we discuss everything else. Lots of sports on the show, lots of pop culture, lots of entertainment. We had Olivia Newton-John on the show today. Lots of lifestyle. So we are not a strictly political, uh, pom-pom, Donald Trump-waving show. We do a lot of that, maybe about 70%, but we spend at least 30 or 40% talking about everything else. We're both fathers. We both enjoy the movies. We both enjoy TV. We both enjoy sports. So we do something in New York nobody else does. You've got political shows. You've got sports shows. You've got pop culture shows. We are the only show that includes everything every single morning, and usually on a four-hour morning show, at least two or three big-name guests every day. Now, yeah, uh, unbelievable. I mean, I love it. Uh, tell me, though, tell me about this uh, Bray. You have a, you have a brand-new um, you know, business that you're involved with, Bray Gaming Group. You're the U.S. spokesman for it. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, these guys, they're huge in London, and, you know, with more and more states – legalizing gambling here in the United States, seven new ones this year. I expect eight or nine new ones next year, Rory. It's becoming a very, very big deal. You know, in New Jersey, for example, sure is. Uh, our good friend, yes, our good friend, the former governor, Chris Christie, he tried like hell to get gambling legalized. He finally got it. Unfortunately, he's out of office. He, you know, Phil Murphy is now the governor of New Jersey, and he's reaping the benefits and the profits of Chris Christie's hard work. But down in Atlantic City, for example, that was a dead place, and now with the brand-new casinos, places like the Hard Rock and Borgata, they're doing very, very well. And oh, sports yeah. gambling specifically is doing very, very well. So, Brand, we're out of London. Uh, well, of course, in Europe, we're very, very, very big, and we're waiting for more states to legalize gambling here in the United States to bring our product here. You can gamble with us if you're outside the country, obviously. We've got a very good website, Give Me Sports, which is very similar to ESPN, and in fact, in Europe and outside this country, uh, has more people on Facebook and more viewers than ESPN. So we're a very big up-and-company company. Again, you can gamble with us outside the United States. It will be here when more states legalize gambling in the United States. And look, with a tournament like this, guys, the college basketball tournament, there will be 47 million people filling out brackets. There will be 150 million brackets 
in all probably sold out. And in the end, you're going to get about $8.5 billion bet on this NCAA basketball tournament. Now, listen, only about 10% of that is legal gambling. So you're talking about $7 billion of illegal gambling, which eventually, as more states legalize gambling, will be money made in the United States, taxable money, and maybe save some of these fledgling cities and states. Well, Sid, I'm glad you brought this up, and I know I know a lot of people have questions that are on the line for you. But what I want to ask you, uh, I I agree. I, I really think gambling should become legalized, and I think our president, I think he's a big fan of it. As you know, he owns casinos, uh, and he's all about making money. He's all about the business aspect. What do you think? I think you're right. He did own casinos, of course, in Atlantic City, and I stayed in all of them gambled in all of them. I used to love the Taj Mahal. By the way, the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City is now the Hard Rockin' Hotel in Atlantic City. They bought it from Donald Trump. But uh, listen, he knows he knows what it's all about, making money. And the three things that should be legalized in every state in this country tomorrow are marijuana, gambling, prostitution, and prostitution. marijuana, and gambling? Anybody? Oh, I, 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 right. I was right. <laughs> all three of those things need to be legalized yeah. tomorrow. You've got to clean these girls up. You got to get them, you know, give them the health care they, they need and deserve. Because guys Absolutely. are going to go to hookers the rest of our lives. Guys are going to gamble. Guys are going to drink. Guys are going to drug. And now, of course, with medical marijuana being so big these days, there's no reason from a medicinal purpose and a recreational purpose not to legalize marijuana. So we got to get smart in this country. Marijuana, prostitution, and gambling. Every state tomorrow. Let's go to Gianni in New York. Gianni, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, this is Gianni in New York. I'm from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, out of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. So nice to meet another New Yorker. Uh, so I got a I got a huge question for you. Absolutely, I agree that you know prostitution and all this stuff should be legal because I define myself as a libertarian, a classical liberal. So I'm not necessarily conservative only in economics. Uh, but what do you think is the biggest problem going on in like New York City and? Because I, I feel like things are getting uh, kind of worse now. Has De Blasio been there? Well, you, you know, Giuliani it's funny you say and... that. Yeah, it, it, it's funny you say that. First of all, I went to elementary school and high school. If you're only in Bay Ridge, I went to Poly Prep there in, uh, on Bay 8th Street, oh, wow. Sacramento Heights. So I know that area very, very well. And you're right. De Blasio's yeah, yeah. done a terrible job. He's one of the worst mayors in, in the country. He may be the worst mayor in the history of New York City. And whether you're talking about the city going broke, which it is, Money is a huge problem in New York City these days. You could talk about the homeless, which is a complete disaster. Uh, the MTA, the subways, they look, they look like 1975 all over again. So yep. under de Blasio's rule, our city has gone backwards about 35 years. And by the way, the governor, Andrew Cuomo, he's not much help either. So between Cuomo up in Albany and de Blasio in New York City, two liberal politicians, New York City is falling apart. And it is getting very scary there from a crime standpoint. From a dirt standpoint, from a homeless standpoint, and from an economic standpoint as well. I love my city. It's still the greatest city in the world, but it has gone real backwards with Bill de Blasio leading the way. Yeah, and you know, you know what's funny about that? My uncle had just got out of Rikers Island like a few years ago, and then all of a sudden he was like, man, it looks so different, and you know, you got a bunch of, you know, hipsters walking around Brooklyn and all, and it's so different from how it was back in the 80s. And now, if I didn't grow up in the 80s. You know, I'm a 2000s kid, so I was around when the Bloomberg era. And he's saying now it seems like it's kind of getting back there because you got the Latin kings and all these people 
shooting each other on subway platforms and stabbings and all this other stuff and people living on the street. And it's like, what do we do? Because, I mean, a Republican winning in New York City uh, or New York State, for that matter, it doesn't seem viable now. So, like, what do we no, even, it, like, it, it, what, it, it doesn't what is happen. the way to go? I don't know. I, I wish I had the right answer for you. I mean, the, the only way to do it is to get Republicans in power. Thank you for the phone call in, uh, in New York City. And it just doesn't happen. Look, uh, people don't even go vote. The biggest issue in New York City is nobody votes. So Bill de Blasio wins by default. He did not even have somebody to run against this time around. I mean, Andrew Cuomo did. He took out a guy who's a buddy of mine, a Republican, by the name of Mark Molinaro, who had a very good campaign, but he got destroyed yeah. by Cuomo. De Blasio had nobody run against him. He had Nicole Monotakis, a nice lady out of Staten Island, my good friend Bo Deal, yeah. but nobody with, any real, nobody with any real political experience. So at the end of the day, the only way things will change is to get some Republicans in local government in that city and uh, if not, at least get some uh, uh, some liberals that are, are more, more moderates than progressives. Because the way it is right now, the city is becoming, like I said, it's it's, it's gone backwards about 35 years. Hey, Rory, I'm going to um, I have a dinner appointment I got to hit here in about uh, 10 minutes. I landed late in South Florida, so I'm going to have to hop on uh, hop off the call here in a couple of minutes uh, on the way out. Anything else on the way out here, my man? Yeah, I want to I want to let everybody get some. There's a few other people on the line. Let's go to Bill in Texas. Bill, go ahead. I don't know if there is an answer for New York. It, it may be a, a thing that's, that's out of control now to where the population with the illegals and the liberal and socialistic ideals don't ever allow a Republican. Well, listen, you, make, you, make a, you make a great point, Bill, about the illegals. And, and, you know, again, you go back to the sanctuary cities, whether it's New York or San Francisco or many cities across this country. This is another area where Donald Trump is right on the money. We got to stop this nonsense. I mean, almost almost on a weekly basis, there's some heinous crime committed in New York, whether it's Long Island or Brooklyn or the Bronx. And of course, you look at the guy who committed the crime, and a he's got a long rap sheet, and b he's an illegal immigrant. So uh, that is a huge issue uh, in New York City and around the country. Something, of course, that Donald Trump is trying to fix. And of course, he's getting all kinds of issues from people who are less rational and more political uh, all across the country. And uh, Dr. Dr. Branch, go ahead. First of all, huge fan, huge fan of IMIS and watching you guys play off each other for years. It's a great oh, show, and, and congratulations on your success. Thank uh, you. You know, thank you, you. You, you know, you're, you, oh, no, thank you. Thank you very much. And, to you know, you, you had mentioned uh, your honesty regarding Trump and his message during the 2016 election. What what is your take now on uh, all the uh, the race to the far right that you see from these Democrat candidates now? What what's your impression of that? You talking about the race to the far left or the far right? Well, no, uh, the far left, uh, the Democrat presidential right. candidates you know, now. Yeah, they listen. It, it, they're insane. They don't have a chance. Um, look, at the end of the day, the more establishment type of people like Joe Biden, that's going to be your winner, right? I mean the these uh, these look. I live in New York, and in one of my boroughs in Queens is a young lady. You may have heard of her. I know you have. I'm kind of kidding. <laughs> Alexandria Cortez, you know, and and she's just she's just the craziest person that God ever created. Now she's gaining some traction in New York City. She beat a longtime politician in Joe Crowley, and she's got people going to the left of the left. And uh, there are a bunch of folks right now running, but but they won't win. I mean, it'll be an establishment uh, a candidate, I believe, that'll win. A guy like Biden, I think Kamala Harris is a bit to the right of Cortez. 
he's got a chance to shake some things up. I really do. I think Bernie Sanders is too far to the left to really have any real shot at winning. I know he's kind of the favorite alongside Joe Biden right now, but I think as soon as Biden jumps in the race, he becomes the overwhelming favorite because he's not a complete moon. He's not completely to the left. One of these crazy Cortez progressives like this kid, Beto. I mean, O'Rourke. I mean, I know the guy raised $6 million day one more than Bernie Sanders, and he's getting a lot of play, and he's kind of come on, guys, like very authentic, very organic, like a Barack Obama and or a Donald Trump. But I think eventually when people listen to some of the messages from the folks that Dr. was just talking about all the way to the left, Beto O'Rourke, the Cortezes, uh, folks are going to get scared to death. They really are. Uh, you just can't do the things these people want to do. So in the end, they may come up big right now, but as we're closer to the race, I think an establishment candidate like Joe Biden becomes a much more realistic choice for the left goal against a guy like Donald Trump. And, and, and Sid, thank Sid, you for you, waking up every morning and being on air. Hey, thank you, pal. Thank you, doctor. Hey, I appreciate Sid, it. Sid I, know, Sid, I know you have to take off, but before you go, please tell everybody kind of a, a short premise regarding your book and then, uh, you know, tell everybody about the uh, NCAA uh, deal and uh, real quick. But go ahead on the book, though. I want to hear about that. All right, Rory. Yeah, I appreciate that, buddy. Again, the book it was written in 2010. It's already nine years old. But, you know, when I wrote, when I wrote the book, I'd been fired. I was fired in New York City, and I was forced to move to South Florida in 2006. I was down here in South Florida doing radio for about four years when I got the book deal. The very end of the book, the very last sentence of the book uh, basically says, don't be surprised if one day I end up back in New York City. And, you know, in the book, we had people write chapters about me in the book, everybody from Pat Wiley, who runs the Miami Heat, to Don Imus, to the Howard Stern crew, to Lawrence Taylor, to Jim Nance, to Tiki Barber, you name it, all wrote chapters in my book talking about their relationships with me and what they thought about me as a host and a person. And in the book, Bernard McGurk actually says, Again, this was nine years ago. I look forward to the day where Sid and I run our own show in New York City. And as luck would have it, seven years later, that actually came to fruition. So the book is titled You're Wrong and You're Ugly. You can get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. I think you folks will enjoy it. It's a good light read. And it's about my trials and tribulations along the way. A kid that never took a communications class in high school and college and ended up on the top of the world with Don Imus and the football giants and the midday show making a ton of money until drugs and alcohol and all kinds of gambling uh, ripped it all apart for me. But now I've come back bigger and better than ever in my return to New York City in 2016. And again, with the NCAA basketball tournament raging now, day one just about over. Two more one seeds are going tomorrow, Virginia, North Carolina. About $8.5 billion will be bet on this tournament before it's said and done. About $5 billion, guys, before the Sweet 16, even next Thursday. So we want to pay attention to states now that start legalized gambling and companies like mine, Bragg, who will make their way to the United States when, in fact, it becomes profitable. Right now, you can gamble with Bragg outside the country in Europe. But you should check out their website, Gimme Sports. Again, it's like ESPN even better. In fact, more people read our website outside the United States than people in the United States read ESPN. That's available to all of you right here, right now. And again, keep your eye on this college basketball tournament. Keep your eye on the Masters, on Major League Baseball, on all the major events. Look at the money figures being gambled every single day. Start to realize how important it is to legalize gambling in every city, in every state across this country. And then companies like ours brag make our way to the United States, and everybody's really happy at the end of the day. Hey, Sid, and is Sid Sports Sunday? Are you still doing new episodes of that every week? 
every single Sunday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern time. It is a strictly sports show. Of course, during the week, Bernard and I discuss politics and news and a variety of different things. But my Sunday morning show on 77 WABC is strictly sports. So if you're a big-time sports guy, 9 to 11 Eastern oh, yeah. time, usually three or four big-name guests. And really enjoy that. More like a WFAN ESPN type of show. Two hours every Sunday morning, live on 77 WABC. Okay. Well, wow, man. I, uh, Sid, I know, I know you got to run, but I definitely want to have you back soon because, I mean, I could, I could talk to you all day. I mean, there, there's so many things uh, to discuss. I mean, you've lived one hell of a life. I will say that. And uh, it's well, quite well, impressive. Well, I, 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 I've lived one about nine lives. <laughs> well, like there you cop. go. Exactly. But, uh, I mean, you it's incredible. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed this time tonight, Warren. Anytime you want me back, I'll be more than happy to do it. So to all your listeners all across the world and all the countries you guys do a great job in, and the people of Phoenix, Arizona, thanks for having me on tonight. We'll do it again real soon, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you, Sid. All righty, pal. Fantastic guest. Fantastic. What what a fantastic guest. Um, just unbelievable. Amazing. Uh, so much insight. We're going to go to a quick commercial, everybody, and uh, we will be right back. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind the scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. All righty, we are back, um, and I'm very excited to uh, welcome our special guest, and uh, don't forget, everybody, we are listened to in 22 different countries. We are on over 60 online platforms. If you miss any interviews, past shows, a 24-7 news coverage, you can visit thenexgengenusa.com, our brand-new media site that we launched. And don't forget, in the coming future, we will be having many notable names having their own shows on the network and everything. We're putting a lot of great things together for it right now. Um, I do want to welcome um, our next special guest, very popular guy, done very well for himself, a successful businessman, political consultant, activist, lobbyist, best-selling author, and CEO of Wellington Strategies. 
uh, Joe, uh, is it Cookless? Is that how I pronounce it? Yeah, it's Cookless. It's like with without a chef, you're Cookless. But it's good enough. Okay, Cookless per- is pretty close. <laughs> Easy to remember. Perfect. How are you, Joe? Great to have you. Thanks for having me, Roy. I really do appreciate your time. Well, you know, it's your, it's your first time on the show. So first and foremost, um, when I have new guests on, I want them to tell me about their background, how it all started for you, you know, all your achievements, uh, all the great chapters you've lived, uh, all your amazing experience in D.C. I mean, you, you've lived quite the life. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I, and uh, just to sort of give you a little bit of a background, um, you know, I started on the Hill in D.C. in 1994. Uh, I worked for uh, about six and a half years for U.S. Senator Rick Santorum. Uh, out of Pennsylvania, uh, and then yeah. left uh, the employee of the Senate uh, and started a, a government affairs shop uh, called GSP Consulting. Uh, and uh, we wanted to focus on helping uh, small to mid-market organizations that were underrepresented or not represented at all in D.C. Um, you know, if, if you look at our competitors, many of them represent very large groups, you know, the Fortune 500s, the U.S. Chambers of Commerce, uh, you know, folks that uh, can afford K Street prices. Uh, and we felt that uh, when we started the company, the, you know, the, the marketplace that was underserved was those that needed representation and either couldn't afford it or didn't know uh, that there were groups out there like ours that, that were providing services for them. So we focused on that, that mid-market uh, and grew it from, you know, two guys in my spare bedroom to uh, 38 people. You know, and we were in five states plus D.C., uh, and, we, uh, you know, over the years, you know, we focused on things like community and economic development, working on a lot of tech companies, uh, a lot of uh, groups that wouldn't have in-house lobbyists doing what they do, uh, but yeah. needed, you know, someone to bolt on to uh, their efforts and, and represent them in, in D.C. or even in some state capitals. Um, so we worked a lot with sports teams and startup tech companies and uh, nonprofit organizations like colleges and hospitals and you know, various universities and trade schools representing their interests uh, for them, not only with their, their own legislators, but legislators that were in leadership in the White House and, you know, various departments and agencies of the federal government. Um, and then, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, we, I mean, we grew this company uh, from, like I mentioned, two people to, to about 38 people. Uh, and uh, we ended, eventually sold it uh, to an international law firm based in Philadelphia uh, where I was uh, one of three managing directors uh, of the rolled-up practice of what GSP was and what the uh, the law firm had, uh, and then left that to restart a version 2.0, uh, now called Wellington Strategies, uh, and we're a little over four years old, um, and uh, are you know continuing to serve our clients in in DC, except. Uh, uh, unlike a lot of entrepreneurs, you get a chance to hit the reset button, uh, and that's what I did here. Uh, and I had a chance to, to do that uh, and uh, learn from the mistakes I had made in the first 12 or 15 years of business and had a chance to restart uh, the company, uh, not making some of those same mistakes I made when I was 28. Uh, and uh, you know, now I'm in my, my mid-40s and, you know, life experience takes over and you're able to build a better company. And that's what we're doing right now. So, um, you know, that's a little bit about me and, and, and the background of, of uh, you know, my, uh, uh, you know, professional adventures uh to date yeah. um but uh am i missing anything in there that you wanted to hear about well in what in wellington you know strategies 
what what kind of projects are you guys working on right now, Joe? So we, we have uh, about 90 clients, uh, and they span the globe of scope and size. Some of them are for Fortune 500 organizations or very large trade associations, and some are still uh, you know, two guys in the basement with a business plan that are looking to sell their next uh, best widget to the Department of Defense or the Department of Transportation or Energy or whatever it may be. Uh, so a couple of examples of projects we're working on is, you know, I've got a, uh, a local tech company here in Pennsylvania that makes a, uh, a computer technology that responds to missile threats to submarines uh, in nanoseconds. And so instead of, you know, a human having to detect a missile that's coming in at Mach 5 that just launched and is now on the horizon, these guys make a tech that allows that to automatically happen and launch countermeasures to prevent those uh, uh, those missiles from hitting the back of the submarines. Uh, we're also working with a robotics company that um, if you've seen these robots that go and defuse bombs on land, they're doing the same thing, except they've got one extra wrinkle, which is now in the event that any terrorist or enemy wants to put a bomb in a port underwater, these robots now have to float and ride with the waves. And so they're, they're doing some things from the, you know, the, not just the dexterity of the robot itself, but how do you counteract having to defuse a bomb underwater uh, and things like that. So we're doing those things for some of the tech companies we represent. We're also working on, um, you know, a variety of, of, of uh, projects uh, in D.C. And, in, frankly, you know, we've also started to delve into uh, state level of governments for, for things like that. We did a big project uh, last year in Pennsylvania for uh, Milan, uh, who had started a program for their EpiPen in Pennsylvania about a decade ago, which uh, they and, and other epinephrine uh, auto injector companies were giving pens to the school districts. Uh, and that was very popular. Uh, and if the pens were used, they would replace them for free. If they weren't used, they would replace them when they aged out for free. Uh, so it was a win-win for many of those school districts. And it was so successful in PA, they rolled it out uh, all over the country. Um, and I think it's in 31 states right now. Uh, and they came back last year, and we got a bill passed that expanded that program to include other places where, uh, you know, the need for these pens might uh, might be prevalent. Places like, you know, you get a bee sting at a Boy Scout camp, or you're in a, you know, a cafeteria at the college or university that you go to, or, you know, you're in a mall somewhere. We even allowed it to put it in the, the vehicles of first responders. If you could believe this or not, uh, we had one state legislator who whose son ha- was having an episode and the police arrived before the ambulance and the policeman did not have an EpiPen. Uh, and it's just, we, you know, this new law allows for them to have them and uh, Mylan and their competitors donate uh, the pens uh, to those causes. So it's a real, you know, eclectic mix of clients, uh, some big, some small, uh, but all of them have some sort of typically a community or economic benefit to it or providing for the, you know, the common defense and promoting the general welfare. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people have questions on the line, but I, I also want to uh, ask you about GSP Consulting. You were the former CEO there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, uh, what kind of stuff that entailed. Yeah, you know, that was our first startup, right? And so my former business partner, John Dick, and I started this company. We had both worked for the senator. Uh, I was 28. He was 25. We really didn't know what we were getting into when we when we started it, but we knew that we thought that we had uh, the next best mousetrap. Uh, and focusing on those mid-tier uh, companies or organizations, those that may not have had representation in the past, 
we were able to build a quick book of business for ourselves and, and serve those companies well in D.C., uh, and we found that uh, many of the angel investors or venture capitalists that invested in those companies saw value in what we were bringing to them, and they, of course, had invested in three or four others. So we're, when we were successful for the first company, they then you know, asked us to, to, uh, to chase down money or contracts or grants or even some appropriated dollars. Uh, and you know, for a venture capitalist or an angel investor, any money that's non-dilutive and, and government money is non-dilutive uh, is good for them. It doesn't take away from the ownership position. And uh, you know, research and development is often a hard thing to fund with angel investment or, or, or VC money. It's just one of those risky uh, parts of the business. And so when the government steps in and says, hey, we like what you're doing with your technology and we want to fund that, um, that money doesn't take away from ownership. And that money also comes with uh, you know, the good housekeeping seal of approval from that department or agency. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, knowing that you've got a company that's working with the Department of Energy or Defense or Homeland Security adds weight uh, when you're a startup, and you're in that startup phase. I mean, folks that are trying to buy your tech want to know that what you've got works. And if you can say, hey, yeah, we've got a project with DOD, you know, that sort of gives them a check in the box and it helps you out. So, you know, GSP was, you know, the startup, uh, you know, and, um, as I mentioned earlier, we eventually were able to grow that business. We were in, uh, we started here in, in D.C. and, of course, P.A., uh, where John and I were from, uh, and then expanded that into places like Florida, uh, Louisiana. Uh, eventually, we were into Ohio, uh, Michigan, and Minnesota, a lot of other Rust Belt states that had similar programs and similar companies to those that were coming out of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, and then that was the company I eventually sold to the law firm. Okay, very, very nice. I, I want to go to I want to go to Kevin. Kevin, go ahead. I know you have some thoughts. Go ahead. Um, I don't really know what to respond to in this situation, but I'd love to respond to your prior guest Sid because um, I believe that uh, he is an enemy of the people because uh, he's a journalist Ooh. and he's bringing Ooh. upon these. Uh, yeah, your your last guest. And the reason yeah, why yeah, is because yeah, he doesn't have a, a notion of the American people. He doesn't understand what it means to make America great again. He believes in legalizing marijuana and prostitution and drugs, and he believes that New York City is the greatest city in the country, and it's, it's implementing Sharia law, uh, soft Sharia law in New York City. And I, I completely disagree with what he has to say, and uh, I didn't get the chance to speak, so that's why I had to bring this up. Okay, yeah, no problem. We'll, uh, we'll definitely talk about that later. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. First of all, I want to say uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear Pennsylvania boys doing well. Uh, I grew up near Rick Santorum. He is out of Mars. I'm out of Beaver, uh, both born the same year. So I want to give a shout-out to Western PA there. Um, well, thank you, sir. The, I'll pass that along to the old boss, too, by the way. What? What part are you from? I'm from Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh. I was born in New. I was yeah. born in New Kensington. So, well, there you go. That's that counts as man. Pittsburgh for where we come from, right? <laughs> That's exactly right, man. Exactly right. Listen, I, I'm also the the chairman of the largest doctorate program for uh, information system technology in the world. I'm surrounded by futurists all the time, and. Um, you know, April will mark two years since Stephen Hawking and Bill Gates and Elon Musk got together 
and they were discussing the future of uh, the the economy and the future of the workforce in 2030. Uh, one of the things they brought up is computers will be now, by that time, more clever, not smarter, because we already know with the internet and that, you know, they they are now and with artificial intelligence, but clever. Clever uh, denotes critical thinking, and they're talking about at that at that summit that they were talking. They were saying that by 2030 or 2032, you will have about 180,000 excuse me 180 million uh, person workforce in the United States with only about 85 million jobs. So where do you see the future of the job market um, because yeah, of technology? So Sure, yeah. Well, I can speak to a number of points there. First, I think that, you know, being a Pittsburgh guy, I'm sure you see a lot of that CMU and University of Pittsburgh tech that's coming out. UPMC that, you know, and really everything. Really gets to that's the heart right. of what you're saying. Yeah, so you've got machine learning and artificial intelligence, and it doesn't surprise me that their conclusions led to clever machines and critical thinking uh, as part of that. And we see that here in the city every day when we've got Argo AI uh, we have Uber. We have a, uh, a number of folks that are doing driverless vehicles uh, as part of that on the high end. Uh, and then we also see that for companies that are like predictive solutions that go in and tell you, hey, don't fly your plane until you get a maintenance because the chances are it's not going to work soon. And so you see all of these predictive analytics that are coming from this artificial intelligence and machine learning. And you're right, that will that will ultimately replace some of that workforce. But, you know, to your point about the, the tech too, that trickles down as well. We see a lot of folks in the tech community not looking at a four-year college degree and an, uh, you know, a future employee coming out of that, you know, liberal arts school as it once did. And, you know, I've, I've worked now with a number of colleges and universities around the country, and they're having, um, you know, a hard time trying to keep up with some of these trade schools as, as manufacturing is making its way back. Uh, and we're seeing things now that, you know, for a while, I mean, when you conjure up in your head, you know, what a manufacturing facility looks like, it's not like that anymore. It is automated. It is clean. It is safe. Uh, and they're doing things from urban farming, uh, you know, and that's all smart tech farming that's going on these days uh, to, uh, you know, the adoption of robotics as part of that. So, and I think as they look at their workforce, you're seeing a lot of students now just getting the skills they need to be employed. And I talked to, to one fortune 500 company not too long ago that was in for a, um, a, um, you know, workforce development seminar that I attended. And, and they told me that they would prefer to hire a 19 year old who had started their own mobile app company and either failed or was successful that had certain computer and coding skills versus a four year liberal arts students was coming right out of college. So uh, I think we're seeing a paradigm shift in how people hey, are hired. Hey, Joe, and how real, people are real so speaking of app companies, I, I told you I own uh, an app company, right? GetYourAppBuilt.com. I think we talked about that, right? You, you, we did, sir. Yes, we did. Okay, keep keep going, though, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just saying, but, uh, you know, and I, I think, Dr., to your, to your point, uh, I think we're seeing that not just from a where they're getting the, the pool of, um, uh, of of trained workforce, but also how they're how they're training and how they're adapting to the use of artificial intelligence in that future workforce. That's fantastic because I know out here in Phoenix, uh, I live in Phoenix now, and 
we're building these multi-million square foot uh, warehouses for like Wolf and UPS and Dick's Sporting Goods that are only employing two or 300 people. The rest of it is robotics. And, you know, it's pretty amazing. And to me, going and, and, and you hit on a really good point that many of these now coding boot camps, uh, a lot of the people being employed are coming from those boot camps instead of the four-year college degrees. Yeah. Yeah, and, we're, and you know we're what seeing we that see? all around. Go ahead, Sam. Oh, Joe, continue. I was going to say something on this point, but I'll wait until you're done. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, to your point, I mean, I, I, I've seen that now, and uh, and the, the training starts a lot uh, younger uh, for those kind of things, too. We're the A lot of colleges are starting to recruit sixth to eighth grade, and a lot of the STEM and STEAM programs that they're now running, I think, focus on things, not just like 3D printing and, and drones and stuff like that, but it's the blockchain stuff. It is the artificial intelligence stuff. Uh, I work with one company that's uh, located here in Pittsburgh called uh, Digital Dream Labs, and, and they make a K-2 technology with robotics that teach kids from the ages of four to six how to start to code. And they're coding using iconography as opposed to language because most of these kids at four still can't read, but the computers are showing them how to do it. Uh, and it's a mm-hmm. really, it, I mean, to your point, it's just a, it's a, you know, it's a, you know, just an order of magnitude different than what I, you know, as a 40 year old had grown up uh, doing. So what some of these kids are now doing before they even hit, uh, hit uh, grade one. And, um, I just want, I want to, I want to chip in here and just say, you know, uh, you know, with the whole educational system, I I love the point you guys are making in regards to, uh, you know, the trade schools, you know, and you're absolutely right. We see so many people that graduate from four-year colleges and they're in major college debt because, you know, either they, either they can't get a job because their degree uh, doesn't align uh, well with with a lot of jobs currently, or I mean, there's some sort of issue. But if you go to a trade school and you study a specific category and a specific, you know, uh, job job subject, uh, you're golden. And we see all these people that get out of trade schools and they're getting hired right away. And Joe, I know you're you're pro conservative, you're pro Trump, and uh, you know we see the left right now trying to push this whole fifteen dollar minimum wage. Uh, you know, garbage, and all that does, and it's already happening in parts of the world and even certain parts of the U.S., is it just creates robotic checkouts. Look at the certain McDonald's. Look at certain places that are doing all electronic checkout now and robotic because they don't want to uh, – owners don't want to pay the $15 because they'd rather profit and, uh, you know, uh, capitalize. And, and it makes sense because those jobs are not designated – to be making $15 an hour. They're, they're supposed to be entry-level jobs. Don't you agree? Well, yeah, Roy, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's just an unreasonable thing. I mean, if you rewind the clock and really take a look at what minimum wage was designed to do, it wasn't designed to be a living wage. It was designed to be a minimum wage to help unskilled workers find their way into the workplace doing jobs that eventually will train them to do other things so they can go on and get uh, a living wage. But it was designed for you know, when I was 16, my first job, that's what that's designed for. It's not designed to be 15. And we've all now been in these places. And, you know, I was just in one in New York a couple of weeks ago and you walk up to the counter and it's, it's replaced that person because it's too expensive to have them. Typically 
unskilled workers are less dependable. Uh, they, they're missing work. Uh, they quit without notice. Uh, and, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the kind of work that you can do, I mean, ordering a sandwich at, like you used McDonald's as an example, uh, but any yeah. of the fast food chains and even some of the convenience stores now. You walk in and order your sandwich and someone there behind the, the counter hands it to you, but it's cut part of their workforce away and it's, and it's affordable yeah. for the entrepreneur, the folks that, are, that own the franchise mm-hmm. or the folks that own the business. So, yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right. I, I want to go to Bill in Texas. Bill, go ahead. Yeah, hey, Joe. Um, I, you know, I think trade schools are a, a good thing. I think we have to find a balance in, in this country. To we, we can't process out of going from just to have an intellectual base of, of employment. I don't, I don't think you can sustain a, a civilization that way. But I wanted to go back a little bit to where you were talking about four-year-olds coding. Is that, I mean, is that really the, the healthy thing for us to do with our children? In, or, or should we make, shouldn't we nurture our children up to be human beings and, and not have that as prevalent? I'm, I'm not saying you personally, but I'm saying in, a, in a, an ideal um, I just, you know, it seems like we're, it seems like we're, we're seeing the result of overeducation at too young of an age in the generations that are coming up now and taking to the streets and demanding socialism and this and that. And it just, that's a, a, a concern to me. And I, I wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah, well, you know, you, you, the, the STEM education I was talking about isn't for every student uh, you know, and that's just one technology that's being used for, you know, parents that want to get their kids ahead, you know, on science and tech stuff. Uh, There's one example of showing how young of an age they're starting that workforce and what I would describe as like early, you know, uh, workforce development, you know, getting them in. The, you know, we, one of the problems that we have is, you know, we, you know, the jobs that need to be filled by folks that have technical degrees uh, we're bringing in from overseas, you know, and, you know, the H-1B visa program. Uh, you know, is limited, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of those roles are being uh, filled by people that are not uh, U.S. citizens, uh, and they come over as part of that process, and, uh, you know, that's that's only one piece. And like you mentioned earlier, I mean, I can't speak to, you know, whether or not that technology is good or bad, uh, but, you know, it's I was speaking more, uh, you know, globally about the idea that, um, you know, the way that folks are being, educated these days is a lot different uh, than what they were at one point. And I also think that getting back to your original point about trade schools, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, it, not, not everybody's going to be a scientist, right? You know, you're going to need folks that are in skilled trades uh, and they p- provide damn good livings for people. Uh, and uh, they're in demand right now. And, the, and that market has come back and it's been reshored uh, in some instances or new, uh, new marketplaces have, have jumped up. I mean, there are plenty of shortages right now. We all know how well the economy is clicking around and, and how many jobs are open uh, right now, but even skilled like CDL drivers or, you know, things that have nothing to do with necessarily technology, you know, are, are, there's a, there's a need to fill those things and they're, they're dipping into uh, retirement age folks to find people that they, you know, that can pass drug tests to drive those trucks. So you even talk about lowering the, the age from 21 to 18 uh, to uh, to be able to grab, um, you know, folks uh, that are a little younger that right now might not have been able to drive a truck, but this is a, you know, a, a real nice place for them to, uh, 
you know, go and get a job and some quick training and get on the road uh, and be able to provide for their family or future families. Uh, so I think you're absolutely well, sure. right. Same as, the, same as the plumbing industry. Your master plumber can make a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and, and a, an apprentice can make fifty. Um, because it's it's a, a lost it, it's a lost thing that that people got out of because it's a hard work and it's nasty. And but you know, they, if you want a, a good trade job, to be a plumber. Um, yeah, you know, you know, and and they're in demand. Uh, you know, and I think that's. You know, uh, you know, you know. To your point, I mean, I think that the the American dream originally was to come here for a better life, and then it was home ownership. And I think the next rung of that American dream became making sure your kids go to college. And not every child needs to go to college uh, or should go to college. And some of those, as I think Rory mentioned a little earlier, you know, they go to a four year school, they leave with a bunch of debt, and they got trained to do something that's not really an employable, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, you know, finding a, an opportunity where some of these kids that, you know, go to school for a year and they're like, well, maybe this isn't for me. Their next step back is a technical college or a technical school, uh, will allow them to build that career for themselves and, and help provide for their family. Well said, very well said. Um, <clears throat> Kevin, I know you have some thoughts about this and then I, uh, got some questions for Joe, but go ahead, Kevin. Uh, everyone stated it uh, very well. Um, the only question I have is, uh, where do you think that the current level of uh, immigration uh, fits into this uh, this uh, robotic uh, takeover? And uh, secondly, uh, when question. do you believe uh, when do you believe the uh, next uh, uh, industrial revolution will be, as this uh, in, this tech industry is now picking up at such a fast rate? Yeah, so uh, they're two very different questions. On the immigration side, um, you know, I can't speak to, you know, how they're going to integrate into a technological society. I think the, the issue is is uh, many of the folks that are coming here legally, how do we ensure that, um, you know, they, they're not just sitting on taxpayer doles, right, and where they're getting to work and how they're doing that uh, in a legal way. And I think that's been clouded by uh, – you know, the last two years of policy battles between the Trump administration and uh, the, the Democratic left, I think that folks just have varying visions for what that's going to be. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these folks are coming here to fill jobs that uh, typical Americans don't want to do, uh, especially in the agricultural industry or, as the previous uh, uh, caller mentioned, you know, jobs that, you know, most of us as, as Americans have walked away from over the last generation or so. Uh, they're willing to fill those jobs. That's why they came here in the first place. It's better than where they were. Uh, but I think there's a lot of problems and a need for true reform uh, if we're going to get at that because we can't have what's going on at the border going on. Uh, you know, and I think that's something that we have to you know, kind of focus oh, yeah. on. Uh, and yeah, to your next point about uh, the next generation uh, workforce, uh, I think we're seeing a lot of that now. You know, I think the automation oh, – Pardon me, the next industrial revolution is uh, my question. Uh, what that would look like, and uh, when do you think that would be? Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing some of that right now. We're seeing a lot of the automation. It's the next. I mean, when you rewind the clock a hundred years, it was the assembly line. It was, it was things like a railroad. It was things of that nature. And I think that what we're finding is, you know, uh, you know, that that next gen technology is going to be an artificial intelligence and robotics. And we're seeing a lot of that being deployed right now. I mean, there's where I live here in the city of Pittsburgh, I mentioned a little earlier, we see 
you know, they're already on the streets testing these, uh, you know, automated cars, driverless cars and things like that. Uh, you know, I know they're not ready for prime time, but they're getting pretty damn close. Uh, and I think in the next five or 10 years, you're going to see that not just for folks like me that, you know, don't want to drive myself to work and I get a car like that, but I think more on the, on the highways uh, and, you know, really the automation of, uh, of those things and how they can use those for planes, trains, and automobiles. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch how that rolls out over the next 15 years. And I think there's been plenty of investment uh, on the, in that front uh, over the last few years. And then secondly, I think uh, uh, on the energy side too, I mean, I think that we're seeing here in the States the first time that we've been energy independent in my lifetime. Uh, and I think that, you know, whether it's uh, coal, whether it is, wind or solar, whether it is the shale gas phenomenon that's going on with uh, uh, all of the drilling and the oil and gas stuff, we as Americans can now look away from the Middle East, which will get us out of some of these conflicts that we may or may not should, you know, maybe we should be in, you know, and kind of focus on things that we can do here for domestic energy production. And as those technologies mature and the technologies get better, I think we're going to find uh, that, that that might also be part of that next industrial revolution that you were talking about. Thank you. And, sure. uh, you know, I want to, I want to ask you, Joe, um, in terms of the economy, I mean, look, look at what we're dealing with right now. We have the best economy perhaps ever. We have the lowest black unemployment in the history of politics. We have the lowest Hispanic unemployment. We have the lowest Asian unemployment and we have the lowest woman unemployment in 50 years. But in terms of Hispanic, Asian, and black unemployment, it's all-time low. I mean, it's history. It's unbelievable. Um, and, and the fact that women's unemployment is at like a fifth, I think it's 50 years or more of a low. I mean, it's, it's a, an amazing number. And then we have a 3.8 unemployment rate. Uh, we have all these companies pouring back into our country. I mean, we hear about usually on a weekly basis new companies that are going to be building their products here or doing some sort of investing in, in U.S. infrastructure and you know, all this great stuff. It was just announced today that Ford is planning to expand production in Michigan, which will create an additional 900 American jobs, which, you know, I mean, there's so many examples of that. And it just seems like every day it just keeps getting better and better. And what President Trump said on his, on his campaign trail, you guys are going to be winning so much that you will get <laughs> tired of winning. You'll be asking me, Mr. President, what what we we're tired of winning. Can we stop now? And I'll be and he's like I'll be like no. We're gonna keep winning and winning. I mean I love him. He has the best personality, and he's right. He's right. He did it. I mean look at everything that's going on. Yeah, no. I mean I think he just hit the nail on the head, right? I mean I think that under the uh, eight years of the Obama administration prior to that, I mean, I think the term that was used for one to two percent growth on an annual basis was the new normal. Like, this is what we should expect. Uh, and if you continue to roll out new regulations uh, and restrictions and you don't want to have pipelines and you're impacting, you know, you know, energy production here because you don't want to have oil and gas and, and coal drilled here and you're trying to pick winners uh, in that community as opposed to letting the marketplace dictate it for yourself, being reasonable about those restrictions, that's what you get. You get 1% or 2% growth. And I think that when we saw the Republican – uh, effort to you know to reform uh, the tax laws. It was, I mean, that yep. was the first time it had happened since Reagan. 
You know, I was in yeah. elementary school yeah. the last time that happened yeah. to put that in perspective yeah. and uh, yeah. it was long overdue. Uh, and, you know, they still need to tinker with it. There's a couple of things that they, they can get and do better with uh, as mm-hmm. we move on. But at the end of the day, man, we're, yeah, the, the economy is, is, is clicking along and, uh, you know, you can kind of just feel the momentum out there. Like you said, it's almost near or full employment uh, at this point. So um, excited about that. And, and I think it plays into a lot of what we talked about. Yeah. And look at, and Joe, look at like, I mean, for the first time I think in history, we're actually going to win the trade war with China. We're going to actually, because yeah, I've said this on my show so many times, Donald Trump is a guy beyond direct. He's very firm. He says it how it is. He doesn't care who he offends, and he'll he'll tell it to you straight face. And he know and China knows that he's not gonna give in or budge with them. And he knows, uh, and we and he knows, and, and and most people know that China needs us more than we need them. So you know, China pretty much has to come to the table. And President Trump is gives them hardball until they give us the best deal. Let's not forget, there's a reason why they consider him in business one of the greatest negotiators and businessmen to ever live. I mean, he's got a, he's got a very profound and talented skill. Well, you know, right. I think he just said it. I mean, if you look back at, you know, even before China uh, and you look at the new USMCA deal, uh, folks said yeah. he couldn't get a better deal with uh, Mexico, and he did. And then folks said that Canada will never capitulate, and they did. Uh, and then, you know, the North Korean stuff, he didn't blink on that either. Everyone's saying how his most recent trip, if you listen to the mainstream media, it's like, oh, it wasn't, wasn't a, it was a failure. It wasn't a failure. He walked away from a bad deal, and no other president had sit down with this guy, not just once but twice. And I think China's yeah. looking at that, and they realize this guy isn't messing around. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's got the results that we, we needed in, in, in Mexico and Canada, and, he, and he's working his butt off to get us results in North Korea and make the world a safer place. I mean, that's not a trade deal. That's just a deal that needs to get done. Uh, and he's taken it on like no other president has taken it on in my lifetime, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, this guy or his father. I mean, I think that that's, uh, you know, to, you know, to have the courage to stand up to North Korea and do some things while also trying to maintain a level of uh, uh, at least one eye on what China is, is looking at. Because let's face facts. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at this too, and they want to see how he's going to react to it so that they know how to play their hand. Right. Uh, and I think that, like, to your point, uh, they've already made some concessions. And, and in those concessions, we can see that um, they believe this, that the president is not messing around. Yeah, and and you look at North Korea, and you look at Kim Jong Un, and you look at you know uh, the, the his the situation, and it's unbelievable. You're absolutely right. Not just once they've met, but twice. And you know we can face the fact here that the reality is, if Kim Jong Un wasn't serious and wasn't interested, he would have never came to the meetings. Obviously, he has a lot of interest. He's very curious and, and, and wants uh, economic power for his country. And we saw what Trump offered him. Trump went in there like a businessman, said to Kim Jong-un, I, we can make North Korea a vacation hotspot, and we can do so much great things for your economy. And Kim Jong-un is so impressed and so kind of drawn in. And uh, you, as we know on the last summit, 
Kim Jong-un made a deal with our president, but our president wasn't very satisfied with it because it, it wasn't totally fair to us. But then after Trump said no deal and he left and came back to the U.S., a day or two later, Kim Jong-un's people called the president apparently and said, oh, we want to make a better deal. We want to be on your terms. We want to negotiate. And uh, obviously, you know, we have yet to uh, hear some sort of update. I mean, it, it's been about a month, but uh, I assume there's going to be some sort of plan here in the near future. What do you think? Yeah, you know, and you said it uh, a little earlier, your uh, remark about you know, how the president is a, is a great negotiator and you know, if you've read his book or, or listened to how he describes the making deal. deals, sometimes it's, yeah, it's important to walk away from deals uh, that aren't in the best interest. Even though you, you've worked your butt off and you're trying to get a deal done, getting a deal done for the deal's sake isn't good. Uh, you know, you need right. to do it so that it's, it's in our no, best interest. Say, and so sometimes it's okay to walk away. I want to say real quick, I want you to continue, but I want to say real quick, you know, I wanted to mention with, with this deal situation, let's face it. A lot of past presidents would have just signed the deal just to say, oh, I did something. You know what I mean? But but Trump is not controlled and not owned, and he's doing the best interest of the country. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing, right? The guy's just not what we see or ha- are used to as a politician. I don't even like using the word politician. I work with a lot of, of folks that are elected officials. And I, and I think that the industry as a whole sometimes get a, gets a bad rap. Most of the men and women that work in that industry that put their time in, I see, I see what they give up to, to, to have that, that role. And not everybody's in leadership, right? These are rank-and-file people that you know, go to Washington or they go to their state capitals every day, and they vote on things, and they come back to their communities, and they have no private life. You know, they're, they're hounded by the press. They're hounded by constituents. You know, everybody wants a piece of what they're doing, and that's just the basis mm-hmm. You know, something you've got to know going into these things. And, you know, Trump didn't have to run for president. You know, he was somebody like I I think he even remarked at one point, if I lose, I go back to being Donald Trump and that's not a bad life. You know, and that's true. You know, and and I think that gives and that's what's so scary about those that he refers to as being in the swamp is they need that to subsist. He doesn't. You know, he can come in and clean up and do things that folks are afraid of doing because he doesn't care if he gets reelected or not. He's Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that that, you know, when you head into something like that, that can be dangerous, and that's what scares a lot of people in D- D.C. and within the Beltway. Yeah, and and you bring up the best point. He's he's definitely not a politician. He's a CEO, and I've said my for so many years that running this country is a business. It's a CEO job because what's the number one thing you need to do to have a functioning country first and foremost? Have a, a quality and great economy because that's what gets everything flowing and pumping. And if you don't have that, forget about it. Yep, and he started programs, to, to, to your CEO point, the Office of American Innovation is a new office he started within the White House that looks to help to cut through the red tape of government and helping introduce and expedite the use of new technologies within departments and agencies to save money and some of the telemedicine and telehealth things uh, that he's introduced to the Department of Veteran Affairs, and you go back and look what that Office of American Innovation has done over the first two years, and you'll see that where they, you know, I think the, you know, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I'll steal your words because they're really good, uh, is, you know, we don't want to be president, we want to be CEO, and they want to do this, and that's why I think you see a lot of strained relations with departments and agencies that aren't used to someone coming in and trying to change the way they do business 
Uh, and I think the president has done that in many, many ways. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. Very well said. And, Joe, I want to ask you, you know, working in the lobbying business, I mean, I'm sure you see stuff that is so outrageous that people are going to, going to bat for, but we, know, we all know why, uh, you know, they're doing it is because they profit off of it. And there's some things that are just, I mean, what's, what's like experiences you've seen? Are there, are there, you've probably seen something that is so ridiculous, right? Yeah, you know, it, it depends. I mean, the way, look, I, I, re- I realize that everybody has a right to the First Amendment, you know, and some, sometimes right. that is right. done by the creation of these trade associations who represent the best interests of their members. And their members have those interests that are targeted for certain industry clusters or, you know, uh, if you want to get more political about it, you know, some of those trade associations uh, you know, are going to focus on things that are related to taxes or you'll find, uh, you know, special interest groups that are focused on gun uh, laws or you'll find them focused right. on pro-life, pro-choice issues. And so it's in, you know, they get paid to take a stance not to move an inch. You know, right. if they move an inch, they've lost. It's a zero-sum game for them. Uh, and so it looks extreme to people that would want to have a compromise somewhere in the middle. But as you've seen mm-hmm. over the last 15 or 20 years, we've gotten away from, having a middle uh and you know we we now have the polarization of the right and the left whether it was the tea party 10 years ago or now this democratic socialist movement uh you know these days um you know there's there's not a lot of middle left for those that room to negotiate uh and you know whether it's the you know the the earmarking uh that they addressed 10 years ago with like the bridges to nowhere and things like Mm -hmm. that or you know, you can, some people make the case of the gerrymandering, making these districts so easy for incumbents to win again, you ultimately end up having extremists because there's no middle. They don't have to compromise if their district is safe so they can take, you know, extremist views and get reelected on that, uh, on the basis of those things. I think there's a lot of things down there that, you know, he's tried to clean up, tried to address um, mm-hmm. Even starting saying, "Hey, look, if you work in the White House, you, you know you're banned for life from becoming a lobbyist, mm-hmm. or you know you have a five-year ban and mm-hmm. things like that." And that's a shelf life for some of us. Like, you know, the value that folks like me bring to the industry is domain expertise, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, we also bring a Rolodex. And if that Rolodex gets stale because I can't work in the industry mm-hmm. for five years, that drains right. that swamp, right? It, it gets directly to what he's saying. So I think he's bringing yeah. some common sense. Uh, solutions to the to the mix and understanding what it looks like from the outside looking in as opposed to the myopic view that we have on K Street, uh, which is sometimes self-serving. So I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, Joe, well said. And, Joe, I'm just seeing, like, you know, some of the bills that Democrats are sponsoring, uh, like, for instance, that there was a report out today, and this is just one of many re- ludicrous things that they – uh, try to, you know, endorse uh, the, jo- jo- the state of Georgia, the Democrats in the state of Georgia, a group of women uh, that work uh, in the political field are sponsoring a bill that will require men to report every time they ejaculate. And I'm thinking to myself, what has the left come to? What are we even getting? I mean, this is absurd. This is from Breibart. I mean, I read Breibart every day. They're very honest, very straightforward. And I can't even believe some of the bills that get put forth. The Green New Deal, I mean, whoever's lobbying behind that, Jesus Christ, good Lord. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the Green New Deal, is, and you see a lot of it, and I think that the Democrats had a lot of pent-up angst uh, with the hashtag resist movement over the last few few years where they were waiting for their chance to, to come up to the plate. And when they won the House back, you're seeing a lot of that, well, they almost have to get it out of their system. You know, it's almost like, yeah. hey, you know what, we've this pent-up anger, we're going to do a bunch of things and get them out of the way, even if they're not logical, even if they're not something that's implementable, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. I think the Green New Deal, uh, you know, or, you know, the, the you know, minimum uh, minimum income for people or, you know, uh, Medicaid, Medicare for all, those kind of things are just, you, they're just not implemented. They're not, they're, you can't afford them. Uh, and, yeah. you know, and I think that you've got folks that have, you know, it's their first time at the plate, you know, AOC and some other folks, you know, they just, they're not used to, to doing this and they don't understand yeah. what they can and can't do. And, you know, yeah. and now all of a sudden you've got them leading a party talking about stuff that would you know, bankrupt the country. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it may end up catching up to them. I mean, I think that there's, there's gotta be some sort of a realization at some point very soon as they head into this budget cycle that they yeah. have got to, they've got to come to the, the table with realistic deals and, they can put all the stuff out there and have motions to the floor and we're going to, we're going to have a vote on this or that and, you know, and make their base feel good. But at the end of the day, they're just unrealistic. And Joe, how do you feel about, uh, there was a new report out today and, and I want to get everybody's input on this, but I'm going to go to you first, but uh, Trump defeating ISIS, uh, Fox news reported today that ISIS is completely annihilated. It's been completely defeated over 8 million uh, members, uh, and it's all gone. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, you work on the inside. You're in D.C. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, on the defense side of, of our business, um, you know, I can't – look, the guy said he was going to do it, and he did it. He did. Uh, and he did he, it. You know, and he got, he got criticized for not telling people how he was going to do it, um, and or he used hyperbole, you know, saying he was going to bomb the crap out of them, right? Uh, and he did, you know, and I think that we've seen the, the caliphate fall. Uh, I don't know if it's, I mean, what you're telling me is news to me if it's, if, you know, I don't think a group like that surrenders, but I think if the caliphate right. is no more and they've taken all of the, uh, you know, all the real estate back, uh, then I think that's really, you know, exactly what he said he was going to do and yet another campaign promise fulfilled. Uh, it's just one of those things where you have to be vigilant with it. It's, you know, it's just not going to go away. You know, the fighters that escaped or the fighters that will serve their time and leave and the creation of new terrorists in that community, you've got to watch to make sure it doesn't come back. But I think that, you know, the way he's handled it in a way that uh, even though it may have angered some folks in the mainstream media by him not saying what what he was going to do before he did it, uh, and people were making fun of him during the debates for not, um, has actually paid off, you know. And and we're now at a point where we can say that, you know, within two years he did something that uh, he said he was going to do when he started out, and here we are. Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, I agree with you. You know, with, with these terrorist situ these terrorist situations. You know, I, I don't. You know, I said this on the show before. In a sense, I don't believe it's completely ever erased because I think with the ideology. There, there can always be new people that form into it. There can always be new people that that, that start that uh, you know start new organizations or uh, add on to ISIS. So I think it's in a sense an ongoing cycle, um, and I, and I just you know it's just like every other 
you know, I think gang and terrorist organization, you know, I think it has its, um, uh, definitely its problems with, uh, the epidemic of, of people wanting to be evil and joining, uh, but get, getting also. Well, we just get to your point. I mean, you know, Osama, yeah. we're now fighting Osama bin Laden's son, you know, to put it into yeah. perspective, yeah. it's a generational thing. Yeah. And, and before it was ISIS, there, I, mm-hmm. most people forget that ISIL existed and before that, yeah. it was the Taliban. And before that, it was somebody else. You know, it, it, you're and, right. It and going back into the 1940s, it was, it was the Go Grand ahead, Mufti Mike. with the Hanshar Division, with the 13th SS Division. I mean, if you give them an opportunity to, with, a flag, with a flag to follow, and they'll be there. The, the, the radicals will, they'll, will assemble and, and group around that if you give them the opportunity. So it is a mentality. I agree with you completely. Yep. Very well said, Mike. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, getting back to your point, Joe, about uh, Trump's accomplishments, I mean, we've never seen a president accomplish – he's accomplished 80% of his agenda. Again, that's 8 80% within about a two-year time frame. That's unbelievable. Most presidents, when they leave office, they don't even fulfill 10% of their agenda because they're owned and bought and they're controlled. But President, president Trump is completely self-funded. He makes his own decisions. Nobody can control him. And that's what scares the shit out of people in Washington. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. I'm loving it. Uh, You know, today when the president stood up and he held up the two maps where ISIS was and where they're no longer, we have to remember that under Barack Obama's administration, you know, it seemed almost nightly how you had ISIS – with their black hoods decapitating people. You've seen that, 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 that beautiful young woman up in Prescott that was brutally murdered and raped by ISIS. You've seen yep. all of this, and you have a president that comes forward and actually fulfills campaign promises, ones that the mainstream media says, you know, oh, it's just bluster, it, it won't happen. Well, we capitulated to ISIS under the last administration. Also, regarding the deals, and Joe brought this up, that you know most uh, politicians uh, they would have made a bad deal, like Barack Obama making that deal with Iran. Horrendous, horrendous deal, and 150 billion dollars given back to Iran. That was outrageous. And But it was billed as a great deal. Well, you know, President uh, Trump, you know, he went to North Korea. I mean, he went to Vietnam, met with North Korea, and it was a bad deal. Instead of, you know, playing the political game and, and walking away with a bad deal and try to spin it as a good deal, he just said it was a bad deal. It won't happen unless it's a good deal. To me, that is a president. I mean, to me... Hallelujah for President Trump, you know, in, in my opinion. I, I, I'm, I'm so, so excited. But I do want – can I make one more point, Rory? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that, absolutely. Take yeah, the that's the bill. It's all yours. It, it, it's, 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 it's the bill. Remember when Joe was talking about, you know, programming at four. Now, when I started programming in the 70s, we actually sat down machine-level programming. You had to know how the, the processor worked. You had to know the the different transistors forming different gates, what the one put you know what what one input 
of a one state and one input of a zero state would actually mean coming out of a processor. That required a college degree. What we're doing now is it's not even that language. So when we're talking about four-year-old programming, it's programming, but it's also, you know, in entertainment. It is also exciting to the children. And it's not like, you know, they're sitting there with a slide rule, you know, calculating this out. So uh, you hand you hand an adult my age, uh, you know, I'm born in the 50s. So you hand an adult my age a uh, iPad, you know, they, they look at it for a day or two just trying to figure it out how it works. You hand it to a four-year-old, they're playing within an hour. So it's a completely different world. So, uh, you know, I, I don't... You know, uh, I, you know, I, I, I believe that we should embrace technologies, but understand their power, but also how to build from it. And you know, and and so I don't think that we should think of it as when we were children and what you know it, it, it taken away from our life because it's not. So I just want. Can, to I, make a, can I make a parallel on that? Can I make a parallel yeah, like that? Something Bill, interesting ahead. that you Bill, said. Bill, go ahead and then Mike. Okay. Bill, go ahead and then Mike. Okay. I I I don't I don't think it's a I, I just have a concern that it's um I I kind of lost my train of thought but um I the the concern I have is is not just with that but with an overall bombardment of of everything to a child at at a, at a too young of age where it it it, it doesn't it, it seems to me that that we, we, society was meant to exist for us, but now we're starting to exist for society, and that seems that, that this type of education and 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 I, like I said, there I don't I understand the repetition of it and it's fun and and all that, but I I just don't I don't it concerns me that that we're pushing children to before they're you know it's like saying well a 16 year old can't vote. And and I agree with that 100%. But that's because he's n- not done being a child yet. But when when they can do trigonometry at 12, I I, I don't know where the room is for the human being there. All right. What, what I was going to do. Okay, my comparison, uh, gentlemen, I went to school for, I'm almost out of the 50s, and back in 74, I went to school for electronic music. That was the beginnings of of synthesizers. I'm a keyboard player, but I went to the Boston School of Electronic Music, and they sat us down and they taught us, basically, if you want to imitate a clarinet, you have to look at the actual, what, what that looks like. It's a square wave. Uh, the harmonics that are involved, how to create it, how to use a voltage-controlled filter, uh, an ADSR, an envelope generator, and how to actually create the sound, that's lost now. The musicians don't need that anymore. They could sit there and they could take a synthesizer, and everything is pre-done, pre-made, and easy for them to access. They don't have to take an ARP 2600 and sit there and with patch cords and wire it to make the sound, just as you said. It was very interesting what you said. When you went in and you were learning... You had to know how the gates, how the, circ- the circuitry, the transit, everything, how it worked. That's not needed anymore. So these kids, I mean, I could teach an aborigine how to uh, work a, a microwave. Does that mean afterwards that all of a sudden he's an expert? In, uh, no, I wouldn't compare the two of it to the background that you have in it and really understanding it 
to, to somebody that would just go in. I mean, is that sound? I mean, is there a parallel that you see with this? Maybe there's something else that's going on with the kids and, and what they're being taught. Is it shake and bake something you're rushing them through where they're learning the programming and not really understanding what's behind it? Uh, do they need to have that knowledge in depth with the electronics? I don't know. Well, well, a question that I'd ask for you is uh, most of us learn how to use PowerPoint, uh, Microsoft right. PowerPoint, right? We could take a circle in a drawing tool and create a circle. What we don't have to know is that that's object-oriented programming. We don't have to understand classes. We don't have to understand polymorphisms. We don't have to understand that that circle is a circle no matter what and how the programming is done. What we can now do is use that PowerPoint to create something else to be more productive with. So we've you know, gone beyond object-oriented programming where I had to right. take uh, you know, object-oriented programming classes like Java and learn how to right. do that. People don't have to do that anymore. People just open up a PowerPoint and create a, a dynamic PowerPoint presentation for their jobs now or for entertainment, whatever it is. So, yes, we Without understand on that. Yes, we, right. we, okay. you don't need the understanding now from that. Right. I see. So I'm a dinosaur. Hey. You're a dinosaur in some ways. Both of us are I'm dinosaurs. a huge dinosaur. I'm a huge dinosaur. See, I'm just not willing dinosaurs. to die off yet. That's all. Hey, one other <laughs> thing I wanted to say quick, if I could worry. Because I was... I was on hold, but one other thing, which I, I, I hope that our guests don't, don't take it the wrong way, but I'm a government contractor, and I've got a completely different view. Yes, I'm pro-Trump, absolutely, no problem, but I feel that something down in Washington that I've dealt with and seen firsthand, that part of the, the ills, part of the problem down there is not just the incompetent politicians which come, who come and go. But it's the staffers that are be hiding behind the curtains that we never see. And they go from politician yep. to politician yep. with their baggage full of all the poison and all the venom. And they carry it from politician to politician. And these are the ones that are doing the bills. These are the ones that have that Rolodex that you talked about. That as your Rolodex gets stale, these are the ones that we never see that create the problems, a lot of the problems in this government that we have. Maybe there should be term limits on these staffers. I really think there should. I hope Trump addresses that. Not just Joe, go ahead. Yeah, I don't that. think I've ever heard anybody speak to that, but except for some of these restrictions on, you know, taking year or years off in between serving if you become a lobbyist. Yeah. And Joe, I want to ask you, Joe, and I think this is really important. You know, President Trump made an announcement. Uh, it was, I think, it was yesterday. Uh, you know, he he's floating government action against Saturday Night Live, and and quite frankly, you know. I, there's certain people that are calling this petty and childish that Trump's trying to go after some of these shows that constantly slander him and, you know, butcher his name. I mean, it's not just comedy. Let's face it. You know, what some of these late show, ho late, late show hosts are saying about him and Saturday Night Live and some of these other shows, uh, it's beyond – uh, it's beyond. I mean, it's it's like something inhumane. It's it's disgusting. I mean, it, it it's beyond. Uh, I think in in certain senses tolerable, uh, especially how they go about it. I mean, they really go straight to the heart. I mean, they 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 don't take they don't do anything lightly. They don't do it for fun. They're purposely maliciously 
fabricating certain things and trying to go after him, and he wants to take government action. What do you think about that? Well, you know, that's a that's a tough one because I, I and I think you hit the the nail on the head there. I mean, it's he has beyond any president in my lifetime suffered more ill will from the oh, press yeah. uh, than anyone yep. I've seen. Even I remember being very young and watching Reagan and some of that stuff uh, happen to him. Uh, and some of and you know, it's it's an American, it's a part of Americana to to. Uh, lampoon a president and, and do things like that but i think these guys when you you know you have people cutting off heads and holding them up and swearing on tv and, and they're doing it in a way so that they're getting attention for themselves and uh you know it just seems like it's created its own little cultish religion about anti-trumpism uh i think it's it's gone farther than i've ever seen it go and i think it's just it's you know something that's emblematic of of the times that we're we're living in we're seeing I, I used that uh, extremism example before is, you know, democratic socialists going after sitting Democrats because they're not socialist enough. I mean, if I said that to you 10 years ago, you'd laugh me off this show. Uh, and it's happening. It now. So thing I think with that the that hashtag college. resist movement. Look how, extreme yeah, the, I mean, the le- look how extreme the left has gotten trying to abolish the electoral college. And or stack the courts. Uh, I think the Supreme Court thing is the scariest part about it. It's like they can't. They can't win. I mean, elections have consequences. I hear people talk about it's almost like a, a uh, you know, uh, you know, something that's an overused statement these days. But I hear people say that on all the weekend shows and on the nightly news. And you know, the idea that you've lost an election, you got to get over it uh, and get back to governing and finding a way to do it with, you know, with one another, uh, like we've done for the first 200 years of, of uh, uh, American governance. I, I think that's seems to be out the door there just seems to be this militant socialism uh and there's the militants on on our side too i mean i think that there are folks that just aren't going to budge on on things and you know we saw some of that affect the outcome of the elections last time around uh let's face it i mean we were talking a few minutes ago about all of trump's accomplishments and he did that in the face of the establishment republicans in the house and senate maybe fumbling the ball a couple of times on repeal and replace and a few other things in year one uh, that uh, they didn't want to work with him either because uh, they were afraid of what he was going to do. Um, so, it, it, you know, the knife cuts both ways uh, when it comes to that stuff. But to your point, I don't think I've seen anybody suffer the slings and arrows this guy has suffered, whether it's SNL or all of the talk shows and everything is just a, yeah, it's, he's a victim of all this hyperbole where we've got to cut off his head and we have to kill him. And they, you know, I've seen his, you know, the, uh, you know, stuff done in movies, and you see it on, on the, the weekend shows. You see it on the like, nightly comedy hours, and yep. you see it hit the news channels, and that's the thing. Yep. I mean, can you, in your lifetime, could you have imagined Bernard Shaw from CNN doing any of this stuff? I mean, you know, guys, it, like there's, it, it's it, like a generational thing. It's just gone, yep. you know, with, with uh, newscasters. Yep. It's now everybody's a journalist. And you know what surprised me? We only have a few minutes left in the show, but you know what surprised me, and I'll tell you, is Ted Koppel. He's one of the biggest liberals on earth. And he came out the other day and said the, the hatred against Trump is absolutely ridiculous and as biased as it gets. And he said the Washington Post, the Washington Post is not what it used to be. The New York Times is not what it used to be. It's all anti-Trump rhetoric. And I cannot believe Ted Koppel 
came out and made that statement, out of all people. So it just, you know, it's crazy. Uh, I, Joe, I want to get uh, everybody's thoughts. We do have a few minutes left in the show. Uh, Mike Peters, I'll, I'll, actually, Kevin, I'll go to you first. We haven't heard from you in a while. Go ahead. Oh, oh wonderful. Uh, yes, uh, I'll just start off with the fact that the reason why the left is so hating and so against resisting Trump, is they're so resisting Trump because his tools and his methods are so effective, and this victory against ISIS absolutely proves that it. it's the most wonderful thing in uh, foreign policy right now. And the last thing he needs to do to cross the home plate on all those campaign promises is uh, to take us out of uh, the, the Middle East, like he said he would, not intervene now that we've accomplished our task, we've won our war, and uh, we could let uh, Israel uh, take control from there and, uh, and our allies, and, uh, and then we could save many, many American lives by coming home and uh, saving a lot of money by not being in the well said, my, well said, Well said, Kevin. Mike Peters, go ahead. I have a, a feeling, and we're watching it little by little, that their bitterness on the left is going to end up destroying them because they're, they're getting more and more radical, more off the wall, just out of this bitterness. Because every time Trump, I mean, every time he's triumphant, every time he wins and we win, yep. it drives them yep. insane. Did you hear Donna Brazil the other day? I can't Donna believe Brazil she's on said that, News, but yeah, sadly I did. Yeah, I and when she said that, uh, that all of these accomplishments that Trump has had is because of the sweat and hard work that Obama put into it, she said it again. They believe this stuff. The bitterness yeah. is unbelievable. It, and I'm just waiting. Yeah, it'll end. It's, it's it'll like come when, I hear, when I hear that stuff, I just, it's like, I just start, it's like a snore. Yeah. It's just like, it's, re, it's so ridiculous. It's like, next, next. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. No, I, I'd like to go off with that, you know, with, you know, uh, what Brazil said. If you want to, this sums up Barack Obama. I'm, For eight years, hey, there Dr. was no Brand, accomplishment. Let's face, let's face it, though. Look at, look at how many crimes she committed, but now she's at Fox. And part of me thinks that that's because of Disney uh, buying them. And I think, I, I sadly, I hate to say this, but I think Fox isn't going to be the same after liberal Disney buys them. But go ahead, Dr. Branch. Well, I, I, and you said that the other night, and I agree with you. And just look at Judge Janine and that. What's happening now? You'll see the attack happen with a Barack Obama with no accomplishments for eight years. All he all he did was blame Bush. Yep. Now that he's out of office, and Donald yep. Trump is living up to all of his campaign promises. He's trying to take credit. Obama's sitting back, and he's taking credit for every one of them. I mean, just the gall, we know it's just not true. And you're sitting back and you're saying, well, yeah, my, uh, what happened when I was president is because of Bush. Bush left me a lousy economy. Bush did this. Bush did that. Okay, now that everything's going well, well, it's, it's because of me. And Brazil is just a mouthpiece for the, the, the DNC. And to me, having her just you know, on Fox after she rigged an election, to me, is 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 is, is, is I, I I can't believe it. I, honestly, I just can't believe how Brazil resurfaced, you know, and why Debbie Wasserman Schultz is still a congressman is I can't even fathom it. I mean, both of yeah. those committed crimes, and they're still yeah. in their jobs. It, it's incredible. Very, very true. Uh, Bill, go ahead. 
Yeah, well, I think what we're seeing with the, like trying to change the electoral college, and I mean, the, the last election was a prime example how the electoral college worked, and what, how the founding, how brilliant the founding fathers were. But they know they can't win, and they 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 come to this point where the the American people, when you go to vote for a president, the question you ask is, is how is this going to relate to me? And when they're and they're going to have nothing except to, to when looking at the Democrats, and I don't care if they're a Democrat or not. When you pull that curtain, you're a person. And right. the, what the, they're going to look towards the Democrats and say, what what does this mean towards me? Well, we hate Trump, and we have all these investigations, and it has nothing to do with about putting food on the table or better income yeah. or anything except restricting rights. And the American population throughout history is, is demonstrated over and over and over again that they're not going to stand for that kind of type of behavior. And that's why Trump's going to well win. Said. But if, if they can fix it with the Electoral College or any gerrymandering or any way that they can to win it illegitimately, that's what, that's what they've reverted to because that's all they've got. Oh, I agree 100%. Joe, I'm going to let you respond, then we got to close out the show. Uh, we only got a little bit left, uh, but Joe, please respond and then tell everybody where they can find all your business stuff and uh, get in contact with you, and we'll have you back on soon. Yeah, and again, thanks for, for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to spend an hour with you guys tonight on the, uh, on the phone. Uh, and, look, and I am looking forward to doing this again. I thought this was a great conversation. Uh, and I think that yeah. there's not much left for me to say. I mean, you guys, you summed it up pretty well. I mean, this is a, you know, real critical uh, presidential election we're going to have in a couple of years. And uh, yep. the threats of legislation passing, whether it's, uh, you know, majority uh, or, you know, them using uh, executive orders or them using uh, ways that, uh, you know, that, you know, that they want to stack the courts or change the electoral college right. because they can't win or proving they can't win, I think is, is something that's, you know, it's dangerous. It's something that folks have to pay uh, a lot of attention to in this upcoming election. And I think people are, uh, you know, waking up to the fact that, you know, well, maybe there's a little bit of buyer's remorse that happened in this last November. We'll see what happens. You know, his poll numbers continue to tick up and uh, I think their poll numbers are, you know, with the leadership. uh, I think the legislative leadership the gaffe that they may have had was to let some of these extremists come in and run the show. And now they're, you know, hungry for news and they're hungry for social media hits and they're hungry for things. And they're saying things that might even be seen as just as extreme as Trump said on his way in, they're saying from the opposite side. Uh, But I think that uh, you guys have, uh, yeah, I think hit the, uh, you know, hit the ball out of the park here uh, with, with some of your comments. So thanks again. And Joe, please tell everybody, yeah, absolutely. We'll have you back soon, probably next week. Joe, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, sure. It's www.wellingtonstrategies.com. Uh, go to the website, check out the company. Uh, contact information is on there. If you want to give me a call, shoot me an email, uh, whatever you need to do, happy to, to connect. And or if you have any follow-up questions for the listeners that reach out to you and they want to connect with me individually, just you know, direct them to that website. All right, sounds good. And Joe, we'll have you back probably next week. Like I said, thank you for coming on. God bless you. We'll talk soon. Pleasure. Thank you guys. Take it easy. All righty. Um, Dr. Branch, go ahead. Tell everybody where they can find you. Well, I'll tell you what, Rory, every single night that I'm on this, you, 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 you overwhelm me with, uh, 
your guest. I mean, what a, what a great Thank night. You. If people miss this tonight, they, they need to just tune in online and stream it. But I, I'll tell you what, it gets better and better, and it's an honor to be on your show. People can uh, go out on Twitter at Bob Branch, that's B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-H, and Kevin, I hope that you contact me offline. I'd like to talk with you. You take care, uh, Rory. Hey, hey, Thank you for having Dr. me on. Branch, Dr. Branch, God bless you. We'll see you Tuesday, sir. Sounds great, my friend. Bye-bye. All righty. Uh, Kevin, tell everybody where they can find you, buddy. Oh, yes. You can find me at uh, republicansunited.org, and our organization is all about uh, nationalism over globalism, as opposed to, say, like, Turning Point is about um, uh, socialism versus capitalism. So that's, that's my niche. Thank you. Well said, Kev. We'll talk to you uh, Monday night. We'll have you back Monday. Talk to you soon, Kev. Have a good weekend. You too. Uh, Bill, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, you can check me out at StarCrossWolves.com or follow me on Twitter at Super Elite Texan. Appreciate it. All right, Bill. Bill, we'll see you Monday, buddy. Thanks a lot. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a fantastic show. I want to thank my audience. I want to thank my co-hosts. I want to thank my guests and my sponsors. Um, please remember uh, to visit Get Your App built.com again that's get your app built.com for the best prices on on mobile app uh, builds if you have an idea call them free consultation and they will give you the best deal you won't find a better price anywhere else please also visit the donald j trump store.com again that's the donald j trump store.com it's the best place for all your customized authentic and unique trump merchandise Everyone, it's been a fantastic show. It's like I said, it's been a fantastic week. I hope you all have a great weekend. And if you've missed any past shows or uh, any interviews or uh, any clips, you can visit our new media site, cnexgenusa.com. And don't forget, we are downloadable and listened to on over 60 online platforms and listened to in 22 different countries. Um, God bless you all. Have a great weekend. We will see you Monday. I'm Rory Sodder. This is the Rory Sodder Show. Cheers, everyone.